Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Matthew. Episode 233, recorded for the week of October 25th, 2023. Replicator isn't a real product because it isn't spelled with a K. Good evening, Ryan and Matt. How's it going? Yeah. I just figured out it's only Wednesday. What? It's not, this week will uh, not end. I thought it was third Monday. Third Monday. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. It's about what it feels like. Yeah. Still 2020 though, right? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I don't know what I just say in the opening. 2020, try three. <laughs> uh, we are unfortunately without Jonathan because he's uh, he's out sick and uh, none of us were willing to be a British accent with a raspy voice. So uh, he's uh, he's out and so we'll get him next week. But thanks, Ryan and uh, Jonathan, who's not here for covering for us last week as we had last minute show disasters come up that uh, both... I couldn't join, and then Matt had already said he couldn't join before. So I uh, appreciate you guys holding down the fort. Of course. Can't wait to hear that episode, which gets published <laughs> after this one gets recorded. So uh, I'm working on it right now. But uh, I'm sure it'll be full of wit and charm of your Britishness, and then Ryan just there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, we have a little bit of news this week. Uh, first up, uh, for those of you who have been ignoring your RDS console, uh, it is now time to update your SSL and TLS certificates for RDS and Aurora because they are expiring in 2024. And if you have a very long change management process, you should probably start this effort now. Uh, this is a really fun process that I got to do recently as well. Uh, and this really impacts any database uh, created before 2020 uh, as they chose a 10-year uh, CA certificate. Uh, but now you can move over to a certificate that expires in 40 years or 100 years and I definitely went for the 100-year certificate because I never want to do this again. <laughs> uh, so the step-by-step guide, which they make it sound like it's so easy with four simple steps. Step one, identify your impacted DBs, which you can figure out right away because you go to the RDS console and it tells you in bold, highlighted text that your certificate is going to expire. Which is how I found out about this. And I was like, I should fix that proactively because I'm a chump, uh, which I should not have because I should have waited for these instructions. <laughs> Number two, you need to determine if your database client and apps require TLS uh, for their connections and you have to figure out how they're connecting to it and if they're using TLS to do that, which is a surprisingly difficult question to answer if you're using something like WordPress uh, or other third-party product you don't own. Uh, and so they give you uh, multiple articles to link to for MariaDB, Microsoft SQL Server, MySQL, Oracle DB, Postgres Aurora, and Postgres Aurora. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, you got to go select you know, user ID and you can see if their connection type is SSL or TLS. And then there's changes we've done to JDBC and MySQL. And also you have to update the Linux box, which if you're still using Amazon Linux 2, which I was doing, made it slightly more difficult because no one's written <laughs> up steps for that. And yeah, it was a good time. So, uh, I learned, first of all, if you just update the certificate, it will break <laughs> <laughs> in a horrible way. Without the CA, yes. Yeah, because I was just like, ah, you know, it's a, it's, it's an Amazon Linux box. They, they, they must have just packaged this up as a yum package, right? Why wouldn't you put it as a yum package? Just update certificates. No, of course not. <laughs> Why would we do such a thing? So yes, the I got killed by the Linux side of it, not necessarily the MySQL part because the client's actually pretty dumb for my for WordPress and PHP, but uh, the root CA on the box was my killer, and I had to go find the instructions how to do that, uh, which took I hadn't done in a while because typically I just kill Linux boxes. So I. Yeah. Uh, I was like, I almost just rebuilt the whole CloudPod site. It almost happened at one point mm-hmm. during this process. Uh, and then you could, uh, they do recommend you do this on test, which we don't have a test for the CloudPod website because we do everything in prod because mm-hmm. that's how we're good ops people. And then uh, step four, rinse and repeat <laughs> on production. So there you go. 
this is not <laughs> for the faint of heart if you're not familiar with how your database apps work uh, and do receive a caution. I will say that rather than go figure out all the nitty gritty of how the application works, I would suggest just updating the CA and the certificate. Because if it's using TLS, or it'll work. If it's not using TLS, still work. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, so I've been putting off moving to the new flavor of Amazon Linux. Uh, and so I, there was this, this point of like, okay, I got to figure out how to update the root certificate or I have to upgrade to Amazon Linux 2023. See, and that's like, what I thought you were going to do in the middle of it. Just YOLO <laughs> like, it and move completely. Like it was, it, it almost happened. Like it, I, I <laughs> contemplated it for quite a while. And I, I've already looked at that path like three or four times where I'm just like, okay, I got to get off Amazon Linux too. And then I get into this whole thing about uh, not really understanding what Fedora is doing and not really wanting to run on a Fedora-based system. And then I'm like, well, I should just move to Rocky Linux. And then it's on this like yeah. deep, this deep slide of depression. But then it's an ECS image, which I don't actually know if there's a proper ECS image for, for 2023 yet. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I just said, no, I'm not going to yeah. do it. These are the type of decisions I have to make all day long in my day job. How about new? <laughs> yeah. How about we wait until the last bitter moment when they finally <laughs> deprecate that version of Amazon Linux too? And when that happens, then I will be forced to do this, and yeah. then I will then I will do it begrudgingly, and I will curse the whole way, and I will share all of you at the Cloud Pod because that's mm-hmm. what I do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, that was that was more painful than I wanted it to be. So. Again, take uh, caution, update your certs, and choose the 100-year one because you never want to do this again. Seriously. I'm surprised that they put a 100-year out of 40-year and some security department's not going to be screaming like, no, it has to be 370, whatever the number was. Well, so, use, the, like, days and- so the 40-year one is a, tw- is a two, 2048-bit RSA certificate. The 100-year one is an RSA 4096 or an ECC 384 compiled. Uh, so it's pretty high-level encryption on both of those CAs. Uh, and the fun thing about that is if you do choose the 100-year certificate and you have like a T3 uh, class system, Ooh. you know, all of a sudden now you're processing a lot of stuff to calculate mm-hmm. the cipher. So y- you may have some use cases where you don't want to use the 100-year certificate because it does <laughs> require some more CPU to process. Mm-hmm. Every TLS connection right yeah it's gonna have a little bit more overhead yeah i had to do this in 2019 to to update it to the one that's expiring now in 2024 so i feel old and yeah it was not a lot of fun yeah i count my uh my work birthdays by how many times i've changed my password because my password (laughs) is already like 16 characters and i just had a number to the end of it so i just know how many times i've done it (laughs) and i i decided that my next company which isn't isn't anytime soon but my next time, I'm going to count down. <laughs> it's like, Ooh. I don't want to be here more than this number of password changes. <laughs> and oh, you should there. start with arbitrary long and then yeah, go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's probably my, my new password solution in the future. <laughs> uh, all right. Up for MSK users, uh, cross-cluster Kafka replication is often used to implement business continuity and DR or multi-active-active regions. And so you typically, if you're using MSK or using Kafka, you're probably very familiar with the open source tool called Mirror Maker and the pain associated with Mirror Maker. <laughs> uh, Amazon likes to say, it can be complex and time-consuming to make it work. Yes, it can be. <laughs> Thank you, Amazon. Uh, and to make it not Truth. as painful and to eliminate that toil and those extra drinks that I was going to have when I did this again, Amazon is introducing MSK Replicator, a new capability of MSK that makes it easy to set up cross-region and same-region replication between MSK clusters 
scaling automatically to handle your workload, and you can use MSK Replicator with both provisioned and serverless MSK clusters. Uh, you can set up either active-active clusters or active-passive setups, and you pay per gigabyte of replicated data on an hourly rate or and an hourly rate uh, for each replicator in addition to the base cost of MSK. So per hour cost is $0.30, cents, which is a steal of a deal if you don't run Mirror Maker, and per gigabyte cost is $0.08 cents per gigabyte. Yeah, now this is one of those services where I'm so glad they introduced this just because Mirror Maker is not that bad as long as everything works fine and nothing changes. <laughs> and uh, when has that occurred? For never you? once. It's no application. <laughs> like most applications are designed to introduce change as part of their functionality. So yeah, and so monitoring this and and dealing with uh, the failure modes and all that, having that be part of a managed service that I can I can leverage, fantastic. Even Mirror Maker itself setting up, like I helped set it up, I think once or twice now, was like a multi-month project to set up Kafka and Mirror Maker and everything else. So even if, let's say, I press the button and it takes as long as RDS takes a spin up, it's still exponentially faster than it would take for me to manually do it. Like this is a godsend. Yeah. So what I really want to know is like how they handle, since most of the Mirror Maker stuff is is actually trying to handle the you know, the translation between going to multiple clusters on the app side. So I wonder if the, if they're the MSK version is a complete abstraction where, where you're calling the same sort of global endpoint. I doubt it. Cause that's not really Amazon style, but. Or would you rather just say here, take my money yeah. and solve it for me and never think about it again. Cause that's where I am with this project. Like <laughs> normally I'm like, I want to understand how you do it. And this is one of those where I'm like, I don't want to understand how you do it. Good luck. <laughs> well, last week, uh, Jonathan and Ryan, I'm sure, talked about Windows Server 2012 and gave it a farewell goodbye. And just good luck to you in your retirement, good sir. Uh, I then told you that if you're running on Azure, though, you can continue to get support and be in really great shape and never have to upgrade your products ever again because that's Microsoft's way of making more Azure money. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this week, Google said, we're going to support Windows 20 Server 2012 too after, after, even after the end of support. And I was like, oh, that's really nice of them to do that. Are they going to provide patches or things and then i read it microsoft uh it only works for purchasing extended security updates from microsoft which is not the same thing (laughs) (laughs) so if you if you're paying microsoft more money to get extended security updates uh you can now keep running your 2012 box on top of google which you could have done without the extended support as well you just would be out of compliance uh and uh they google then also point out that you can easily upgrade to windows 2016 by either deploying a new instance or doing an upgrade in place, which don't do an upgrade in place of Windows ever. So uh, appreciate this article for nothing. Thank you, Google. Uh, I feel, and uh, I feel sort of insulted. <laughs> I want to know your pain around trying to upgrade in place and who decided that was a good idea at the time. Yeah, you only do it once. I mean, Google read the docs and said that you could do it. And they said, well, we'll just put it in the blog article. That you mm-hmm. can do that. Or they asked Bard and Bard told you, you can upgrade Windows 2012 in place. <laughs> Because Bard is an idiot. No, it actually was OpenAI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe open yeah. It's OpenAI that told you to do it. Yeah. 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 Of course it did. I feel like this is a blog announcement for them just not removing this from the 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 image library, right? Because someone complained when they did. And they're like, but I purchased extended support. Well, it's a little bit of a weird thing because you you technically are buying your Windows license from Google. So like to get extended security updates, how do I do that when I done buy I don't own the license? So I a little perplexed about how that's actually supposed mm-hmm. to work. <laughs> like, are you going to sell that to me in the marketplace, Google? No, of course not. It's not mentioned yeah. at all. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's annoying. 
Have you been waiting months and months to hire your new AWS, GCP, or Azure architect only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar? Initiatives stalled because you're having trouble hiring? Well, I have a simple solution, Falcon Consulting. Falcon Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Falcon certified AWS, GCP, and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud-native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogOps solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPod sent you. Your dedicated FogOps team is with you for the long haul and they bring their own juice. The Microsoft Azure Incubations team, which I didn't know existed, has launched a new product called Radius, a new open application platform for the cloud. Uh, they're saying cloud computing has evolved and developers and operation teams support many complex microservice-based applications. Do we ever? While Kubernetes is an enabler, many customers are building abstractions over Kubernetes, usually focused on compute to work around Kubernetes limitations. No. <laughs> Kubernetes has no formal definition of an application that mingles infrastructure and application concepts and is overwhelmingly complex. Mm-hmm. Over time, developers need things <laughs> like support for dependencies such as API front-ends, key-value stores, caches, and observability systems. And amidst these challenges for developers or corporate IT counterparts, also must enforce an ever-growing matrix of corporate standards, compliance, and security. So the Azure incubation team is giving you a radius to address those challenges. This will help your app team when they need where they are, uh, supporting proven technologies like Kubernetes, existing infrastructure tools like Terraform and Bicep, and an integration integrating of CI and CD systems. Radius enables developers to understand their apps beyond just Kubernetes, as well as it meets the cost, ops, and security requirements of your business. Uh, so this is just one more of the many developer portals that are existing out there, like from many vendors like uh, Backstage and Spotify and others. There's a quote here from Comcast VP of Developer Experience, Paul Roach. Radius is a strongly aligned with our platform engineering vision to enable Comcast engineers to innovate at the speed of thought. We are prototyping on Radius to understand how Comcast might both consume and contribute to this promising open source project. Yeah, this is a funny reaction to shift left, right? Like it's, it's one of those things that we we've put a lot of empower, you know, a a lot of systems in place to empower development and people around their own systems. And then it's sort of like, Oh, and now what, you know, I have to be an expert in everything and it doesn't scale. And so now this is sort of the, I think the platform engineering and all the developer sort of dashboards we're seeing is sort of a response to that, which is like, how do we, how do we all play nice and same pool and figure out how to carve off responsibilities, which is, which is good. I I like tools like this. I do think it's necessary and I think it's a gap. Just sort of funny because when it was an ops problem, no one cared. But mm-hmm. well, when it became a dev issue, all of a sudden they all started coding solutions. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's why you do it that way, right? Move your problems to the heroes. The heroes will fix it. Yeah. Have you guys had any experience with these uh, developer portals and Kubernetes management tiers? I mean, I've I've rejected almost every one that I've seen. This one has a lot of promise, and because it fills the gaps in why I haven't used something like um, OpenShift or or something like that, which only focuses on part of the problem. Right. And so I've seen, you know, certain tools come close. You know, you have a lot of enablers for managing, you know, complex ecosystems of applications, largely just managing the Kubernetes layer and not the like caching service of your cloud provider of choice or, um, you know, your, your, your S3 bucket, 
you know, which has all of your application secrets in it. Um, you know, those types of things. And so this is sort of, I, I, I hope the promise of this is that it does sort of put all that in one place and, and offer that sort of service catalog that doesn't suck to maintain and, and provide that visualization layer where you can keep it all. Yeah. I mean, I don't like, I liked all the concepts of it, but I still dislike Kubernetes launching my buckets and my load balancers and everything else, because I've just seen too many times someone goes in and goes, Oh, let me go tweak this one file. And all of a sudden, like they go do a deploy and their S3 bucket gets deleted, you know, and crazy stuff like that because the developer doesn't understand the ramifications and like they do it in dev and it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like our load balancer got disabled, but then, you know, and recreated. Cool. What, what's, it's not really a big deal. Great. Let's go do, you know, go deploy that in production. Oh, we just took down our whole website as AWS launches a new NLP for me. Like there's just issues like that, that I feel like where the developers really need to fully understand the ramifications, what they're doing. And most developers don't want to because they have other things to do and understanding how the infrastructure is going to interact with all these different layers just as troublesome for a lot of people and isn't with their core competency and why, you know, why throw everything onto the developer at one point? Because it just, you know, it isn't what they're doing. They don't need to understand the infrastructure piece. Can we talk about what a VP of developer experience does? What is what? Like, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what that does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I. I mean, I have some ideas, but I, you know, you know, I think it's a. You know, you could large. Someone could say that could be you know developer productivity, or it could be someone who's running internal services, or or the the leader in charge of like CI/CD for a company and maybe release. I don't know. It could be all kinds of things. So I've, I've googled that. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I went to Bard. Okta I went, has a job position. I went to Bard. Okta needs a lot of positions right now, mostly in security. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why would you say that? Yeah, you know what? What password? Just, you know, just, just, just a few issues. Yeah. Just a few. Yeah. Uh, so I went to Bard and I asked it uh, what a VP of developer experience does, and it says it's responsible for developing, executing strategies that engage and support developers, drive developer adoption of their products and technologies, and foster a vibrant developer ecosystem around their company. Uh, some of the things that they may do, uh, develop and execute a developer experience strategy. Overseeing the, the development and maintenance of developer docs, tutorials, and other resources. Creating and running developer processes, hackathons, meetups, and conferences. Working with the product team to ensure that developer feedback is incorporated into the product roadmap. Advocating for developer needs within the company. And building and maintaining relationships with the developer community. So it could be either external or internal. Uh, and this sounds like my next job, so I'm going to do that. Yeah. Because <laughs> that sounds like a cakewalk compared to what I do today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love the I love the idea of uh, someone who can champion the developer experience and and get that feedback into the product. Because that's if I can get them to own CI/CD as well, I think I would definitely appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyone else? But but yeah, anyone else? <laughs> like I'll own my CI/CD, but the platform? Mm. Mm, yeah. Oh, so sick of doing that. <laughs> Uh, we have an Oracle announcement this week. Oracle is unveiling Java development extensions for Visual Studio Code. Uh, Oracle has released the Java development extension for Visual Code, which is a great way to get you high on your <laughs> Java licenses. <laughs> the extension covers the development cycle from editing, compiling, debugging, and testing. And the initial release offers features such as project view, auto-completion, error highlighting, and jump to definition capabilities, along with unit testing support for JUnit available to you in the Visual Studio marketplace. Uh, and yeah, you can then pay Oracle a lot of money because I'm sure it doesn't support all the other open source JDKs you could have used. Yeah. 
So to use this, you open your command pilot and then you just enter the command to like prepare for a lawsuit. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you first you go, you know, brew install Java. <laughs> you know, so you first you get that license on there and then jo- this plugin notifies the lawyers at Oracle that you installed Java and then they call your company yeah. and they say, hey, Ryan and your team just installed Java mm-hmm. and now you owe us a million dollars. Yeah. It's perfect. So if you don't already have your licensing, don't use this. And uh, that's it uh, for our news this week. A quick and dirty show. Quiet week, yeah. <laughs> yeah, quiet. I was nice. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm doing show notes and like how many stories I had to kill. And like, I mean, there was like 17 uh, Azure AI stories around, you know, innovation and partners and <laughs> and sustainability and AI and making your AI responsible. And I just said, I'm not doing it, yeah. Azure. You can't, you got to try harder than that. It's and so then, hard to weed through. Like I want to hear about advancements in AI and a new cool thing that it can do, but there's so much noise. So much noise. I was going to say, I think this is the first week there hasn't been an AI story. Uh, mostly oh, because they were specifically yeah. the, the <laughs> Azure stories that were like, I can't talk about that again. I don't, I don't care about their partners. I don't care about how they're do, being responsible with their AI. I just don't yeah. care. Yeah. I don't care anymore. I heard you guys had a revolt against instance types next week. Last we week did. Too. We did. We, we took our, our inch of freedom and we totally unilaterally said, no, we don't want to talk about it anymore. It's just type for the same reason. Like, eh, cool. Yeah. Have, yeah. Everyone's upgrading yeah. all of their Intel and AMD processors to the latest yeah. generation. So everyone's yeah. going to have these stories. Yeah. Yeah. We can, we can just make that an editorial decision. We don't have to talk about those anymore. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you did talk last week about the uh, billion dollar, uh, Amazon uh, purchase of Office 65, which I find, Indeed. you know, yeah. all I can think about is like, oh my God, I would not want to manage a billion dollar spend of Office 365. And then number two, I was thinking, <laughs> poor Matt, he's not going to be able to get any capacity for anything in his cloud for years because ever the, again. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be in the same boat we are where you're capacity planning your Azure. <laughs> Nah, why don't we have any capacity because amazon's taking it all trying to make office scale yeah (laughs) amazon rolled out a new like spam or phishing you know exercise that's eating all the compute yeah actually i was a long time ago i was talking to someone and they were talking about how they open up new offices and every new office has like a amazon you know they had a whole automated amazon deployment for aws and and included sharepoint and exchange and all this i was like oh (laughs) <laughs> like, why are you guys doing all that? And like, well, your yeah. choice is Google, which is also competing with you. So you have to, right. It, it's what pick your poison. Yeah. Uh, or you could have just made yeah. work docs work better. <laughs> or work at all. Or work at all. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> or work mail. Yeah. No, there's a lot there. I think a billion dollars when using work docs or work mail, like it makes sense. That tracks. I wouldn't. Yeah. You cheaper. Yeah. It's yeah. cheaper to pay at Microsoft. Yeah. yeah, especially for their scale and their email volume. I'm sure it's absolutely <laughs> massive. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'll see you guys next week. Hopefully, we'll be back with Jonathan. And uh, we got lots of good news next week, including earnings next week. Uh, we, we skipped it this week because uh, Amazon is not announcing earnings till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But we already know how Google and uh, Microsoft did. And it's a tale of two journeys one bad, one good. <laughs> so, we'll see how Amazon did next week. Just remind me to pull my headphones out as soon as we start that because I forget every time. <laughs> no, that's the fun. That's the fun that's part. The fun. Yeah. <laughs> so look, just look on camera for Jonathan in my face. It's like it's that scars. That's years of yeah. just that. <laughs> Indeed. All right. See you guys next week. All right. See ya. And that is the weekend cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor. 
Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. So Matt had a brilliant idea before the show. Why we're trying to figure out the show title, and he was like, "We really should have a title that uses off of our after show." And I was like, "Yeah, but the after show is the bonus that only people who are cool know about when they're listening to the after show and us ranting about whatever we're going to rant about." And so he's uh, then I came up with the idea. Well, we should just come up with a show title for the after show. And so the after show has its own show title, <laughs> which this week is much like my sanity. My obs really costs are spiraling into depression. <laughs> uh, which is from this article uh, about observability costs spiraling out of control. So apparently a survey of uh, 200 DevOps professionals in mid-sized organizations of, with revenue of 50 to 500 million revealed challenges in controlling observability costs. The survey was conducted by Wakefield Research or Edge Delta found that 98% of respondents experienced cost overages or unexpected spikes a few times a year, with 51% encountering such issues monthly. The primary cause of cost spikes were product launches and updates and mistakenly including log data for ingestion. No. <laughs> 93% of respondents say that their leadership teams are aware of rising observability costs and 91% expected increased scrutiny to reduce costs in the next year. And 84% believe they are paying more than they should for observability, even when limited log data ingestion. And I agree, uh, observability tools are expensive, but they should add value to your business by making you know it easier to detect issues, easier to troubleshoot, reduce your MTTR and MTTF. Uh, and so those are the metrics you should be tracking to justify why you're spending all this money. Uh, but yeah, logs. Logs are the bane of everyone's existence and observability, for sure. Well, the thing that you know is often overlooked is the fact that we've always been paying this cost, right? It's just what we're using technologies and services now where that cost is just very obvious. But you know, when you think about the amount of hard drive space that you've purchased, you know, in your five-year approval plan, you know, type of thing, like it always includes a little bit of a premium for housing a whole bunch of data that you don't know what is. A lot of it is logs. Now, you know, we, our scale is big. So we're just use tools like Elasticsearch and Splunk and we want to search them. We don't want to troll through gigabytes of log, you know, and that compute is now, it used to be part of your platform running on-prem or, or part of your Splunk license. And now it's, these tools are just like the cloud where you're getting invoiced and you're getting metrics for, for the gigabyte. And, it's expensive. And so you go look and you're like, this is all garbage. This is, I think it's really the second piece of what you said is you're now using them. I mean, like before you would go jump on, you know, and you're aggregating them. I feel like in the past, if you aggregated them, it was like syslog or r syslog or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, one of those ones, which pumped it somewhere, but you looked at it, you tailed a log and that's about it, mm-hmm. you know. Now you're looking for correlations, error counts per minute, you know, to see if you're seeing spikes and you're, but which requires, which is really what you were talking about, which is the compute aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So while the log ingestion is a piece of it, now you're running, perpetually running metrics and alerts and stuff like that against it. And then because of all that, now you have to have the, you know, extra cost of, you know, everything else on top of it, of the, you know, which is why it's, you know, processed by gigabyte and everything else. And, we now rely on external vendors versus like an RSS log setup. Mm-hmm. Cause now we want logs, not just from, you know, our Linux boxes, but from our windows, if you're lucky like me, or, you know, if you're a cloud provider or any third party that you're using, you want everything in one place. Your serverless functions. Did you say you're lucky for dealing with windows logs? 
It was sarcastic. It might be. It might have been sarcastic. <laughs> it yeah. might have been. I was, it, it was, just, un- just it was unclear to me that that was sarcasm. <laughs> I think you were excited about it. That's what I heard. <laughs> as much as I was excited about the other day when someone asked me if we SSH to our, to our Windows servers every day. And I was like, while I know that's technically plausible, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. In true after show, we've digressed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the after show's for. Um, but I mean, I think the the other reality, like I was thinking back to like Splunk back in uh, 2005-ish and talking to Splunk and like, hey, we're going to buy Splunk. And they're like, okay, we'll give you a, you know, a gigabyte license for 100K a year. And you're like, oh, it's kind of expensive, but you know, mm-hmm. Splunk, awesome gigabyte. That's a ton of logs and blah, blah, blah. And now it's like a single microservice can use of a gigabyte of log mm-hmm. in like seconds, mm-hmm. uh, misconfigured. And the reality is, I think we actually have a massive problem in distribution of microservices, and that we now added tracing, we've added more services, more logs. So I do think there is a a very high cost that we are incurring in this distributed nature of microservices and Kubernetes that we're only just now starting to really feel a lot of pain about it. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's twofold. I think there is definitely bad logging practices out there and bad behaviors. Those behaviors have existed forever. And yes, they were sunk costs that no one saw because they were on the data center. Uh, and now the only way to actually troubleshoot an application is to use logs. <laughs> the only way to actually figure these things out is to look at multiple systems and trace IDs and these things. And so now the value of that data is much greater and it's much required. And there's also way more of it to sift through mm-hmm. and deal with. So I think it is a combination of problems, uh, but definitely, you know, these systems are expensive and they're expensive for a reason. And can you get value out of them is the big question. I mean, it, yeah, there's no silver bullet because there are multiple issues, but you also see, you know, people logging every transaction or logging every, you know, incoming request. whereas there are more modern practices where if you instrument your code so you can do tracing through those, you just wouldn't log the same thing. So we've seeing a lot of people, I think it's a bit of a sea change as people adapt to, you know, how they develop locally, you know, using logs or using print statements and, and to debug stuff, but then also moving that into production where you want to make those log statements sort of tunable and rely more on your tracing and your, your, you know, different instrumentation there. And so like, it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a problem. I think some of it is tech debt and some of it's just bad practice. It's, yeah, and the developers, you know, they're like, "Cool, we need these logs." Or like, "Hey, this, you know, we had we need this log at one point, so therefore we leave it in forever mm-hmm. in our code base." And it's like, "No, no, get what you need, and then we can always rerun the same tests with it in trace, you know, debug, whatever higher level of logging is, you know, for your application." And then there's always the fun, like, "Hey, it works if it's on debugging. It doesn't work when it's on, you know." Info. That is my favorite error troubleshoot. Definitely have never when the air goes away. Yeah. yeah, when you've changed it, that is yeah. that is truly my favorite air condition. You're like this makes no sense. I just want to go home now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was looking when I was you know starting to look. I was talking with one company. They were like, "Yeah, we figured that our observability platform should be anywhere from ten to twenty percent of our cloud costs per month." And I was like, that feels high, mm. but you know, yeah. it probably realistically isn't, mm-hmm. you know, 
Yeah, I don't. It, it, I don't. It's a cost. You need to make sure you're using it. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I feel like most people don't use that cost. Yeah, because it's value, right? Like there's cost, but if the cost is super high and you're getting the value out of it, then you'll pay it. And I think that's I think that's right. a big problem with logs and observability in general is that yeah you're you're a only using it largely when things are going well, um, and you know it's only in an emergency that you need it. And so I don't know how many times you know patches to failures have been just increased logging output for certain functions or, or changing changing where it enters into this loop so that it will log you know kind of thing. And so like it's it's. It is very challenging there because it's it's hard to develop for the failure state. All right, well that's all I got this week. Anything else? I really I could to- talk for like thirty more minutes on logs. <laughs> I mean, uh, I know that's why I'm trying to stop you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, tell us about Elasticsearch. I hear you like that too. Oh, there was a, oh, that actually reminds me. So there was a there was a. Uh, a show title I did a topic I did not include in here, which was uh, Amazon Open Search Service announces new administrative options. Nice. <laughs> and uh, I was just reading through it, and you know, I was like, this isn't really worthy to talk about, but uh, mm-hmm. it provides more granular control over troubleshooting potential issues with your cluster, which it's Elasticsearch, mm-hmm. so it's a lot. The options with <laughs> the ability to restart the open search process on a node and the ability to restart a data node. And I was like, really? You just added that now? Because that's all I ever had to do on Elasticsearch mm-hmm. was do that constantly mm-hmm. to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, no shock there. Yeah. And then apparently they offer also giving you key health parameters for anomalies and taking corrective actions to help keep your cluster stable. I'm like, sure you are. Cause that's all you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, until you're auto tuning my indexes and your shards allocations for those indexes. Like I, nah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> everything else is it's already, it's already wrong and broken and I'm just having to do things. Now. Yeah. So yeah, I, I didn't, I, I almost put it in there just cause I wanted to hear you rant about last year, yeah. but I, I decided not to <laughs> That'd be a longer show. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. I poked the bear. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. <laughs> let's, let's wait for Jonathan to get back, and then we can truly, truly, truly poke the bear at the yeah. logging and the disasters <laughs> are logging. Step one: get a logging I standard. Think we should... Step two: convince developers your developer experience guy to do the logging standard. That's what yep. the job could be. That's what the job is. It that's, absolutely would be. Oh yeah. God. Okay. Now I don't want the job anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, you still want that job? Yeah, nope. Sounds nope. Awesome. I'm passed on that now. Yeah. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. All right. Have a good one, guys. Bye.